Okay, before we get started, let, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for, um, thank you for these, uh, these students. Thank you for this opportunity to, to open your word to them. Father, I pray that, um, that you would use me, that you would um, use my imperfections and, and do not allow any of my uh, weaknesses to confuse, or, uh, confuse these students and just pray that um, that your will would be done and, and that you would cut through my imperfections and give clarity to them. And I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, go ahead uh, with a video. Let's start with that. I have, to, I have to thank this man because without his vision, I promise you, there wouldn't be no Hall of Fame Allen Iverson standing at this podium if it wasn't for this guy. He gave me the vision, man. And, um, you know, you want to be fast like Isaiah, and you want to shoot like Bird, you know, rebound like Barkley, pass like Magic, be dominant like Shaq. But, man, I wanted to be like Mike. You know what I mean? Um, I remember the first time I played against him. And um, I, w I walked out on the court and I, I looked at him and for the first time in my life, a human being didn't look real to me. You <laughs> know what I mean? Like, I don't know if y'all watch the Chappelle show, but he, he, he talk about a certain incident where he seen, somebody seen Rick James. And like, I literally seen his aura, like, like he, it looked like he was, it looked like he was glowing, and I'm, and I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm saying to myself, like, man, that's Mike, and I'm looking at him, I can't stop looking at him, like, I'm looking at his shoes, and I'm like, man, he got on the Jordans, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, it was, it was Mike, it was my idol, it was my hero, and uh, I remember just hating the Knicks so much and the bad boys were beating them up the way they did. I used to watch him and sit on my mom's dresser. And she used to tell me, boy, if you don't get back from that TV before you go blind, you better. Like, I wanted to be that close to him just watching him. All right, anybody know who, do y'all know who that is? I mean, he said it. Allen Iverson. You know, who is he talking about? Michael Jordan. Have you ever wanted, did you notice how he talked about him? He even mentioned aura and awe of him. This is a man, and he had very reverential words about him and how he influenced him. And if you want to be a basketball player, and this was, this was, Allen Iverson was, he was great in his own respect because this was his Hall of Fame induction speech. And he's speaking about this man but the reverence with which he spoke of him. Have you ever wanted to be, and who have you wanted to be like? A specific person or even a generic title of a, say a police officer, a fireman, a doctor, whatever it is, most of us at some point in our life, it changes, but we aspire to be like a certain person. It may even be a parent or an older sibling or, or, a, or, a, or even a friend. Whoever it is, 
we often are inspired by others and, and want to be like other people. Well, the reason I show you this is because tonight we're gonna, I'm going to introduce you to a man that uh, what I've titled this is The Christ-Like Life and Ministry of Stephen. We don't know much about Stephen, but what we do know about Stephen we're going to talk about tonight. It's right found here in this section of Scripture. But before we get there, I kind of want to bring you into the timeline of where we are and <clears throat> uh, where we're going to begin. And I'm going to start. Jesus was crucified at the Passover. That's not insignificant. He was crucified. He was buried. And three days later, he rose from the grave. He appears to his disciples and hundreds of others in the region. He ascends back to heaven to the right hand of the Father. But before he does, he tells his disciples, you remain here and wait for the helper that is to come, the Holy Spirit. Roughly one week later at Pentecost, which is another Jewish festival, it's 50 days from Passover, which Pentecost means 50 days. That's what that uh, was. So you do the math. Jesus is crucified in the, in the ground, in the tomb for three days, appears resurrected Savior for 40 days before he ascends to heaven. That's 43 days. Pentecost is 50 days. So roughly a week later, while they were all, the disciples were all in one place, the sound like a mighty rushing wind enters the place and that's the promised Holy Spirit that Jesus told them to wait for. Uses the same language that Pastor Tim used last week in the wind, the Spirit's being represented, the Holy Spirit and the Spirit's movement being represented like the wind. You can't see it but you can feel it and you can see the results of it. So, the, the Spirit descends on the disciples at Pentecost. Peter preaches his sermon of Pentecost. 3,000 souls are saved that day. They continued each and every day to preach the gospel of Jesus. And each and every day, day by day, souls were saved and added. And the church is founded at Pentecost. It continues to grow. So like I said, day by day, people are being added to the kingdom, added to the church. So as the, as the church is expanding there in Jerusalem, each and every day, there arose a need in the church to tend to the day-to-day -day activities and the needs of the people in the church there. So they picked seven men, and they set aside seven men, and Stephen is one of them. Stephen is chosen, and what we know about Stephen, we're going to read right here, uh, beginning in, act, in, in, in uh, verse 8 of chapter 6. <clears throat> and Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. 
And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against his holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And the high priest said, Are these things so? And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran and said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into the land, this land in which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. And God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others who would enslave them and afflict them 400 years. But I will judge the nation that they serve, said God, and after that they shall come out and worship me in this place. And he gave them the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob the twelve patriarchs. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt, but God was with him and rescued him out of all of his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. Now there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan, and great affliction, and, and great affliction, and our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers on their first visit. And on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob, his father, and all his kindred, 75 persons in all. And Jacob went down into Egypt, and he died, he and our fathers. And they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver for the sons of Hamor in Shechem. But as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. He dealt shrewdly with their race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. At this time Moses was born and he was beautiful in God's sight. And he was brought up for three months in his father's house and when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own, as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand and on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptians yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he, where he became the father of two sons. Now when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in a flame of fire and a bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. 
And as he drew near to look, there came a voice from the voice of the Lord. I am the Lord your God. I am the, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard, and have heard their groanings, and I have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. This moved Moses, who they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelite, God will raise, you up, raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. He received living oracles to give us. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside. And in their hearts, they turned to Egypt saying to Aaron, make, make for us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who led us out from the land of Egypt, we did not know where he has come, have, do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol, and there were rejoicing in the works of their hands. But God turned away and gave them over to worship the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring to me slain beasts and sacrifices during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You took up the tent of Moloch and the star of your, and the star of your god, Raphon, the images that you made to worship, and I will send you into exile and beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it. According to the pattern that he had seen, our fathers in turn bought, brought it in with Joshua when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. So it was until the days of David who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him, yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophet says, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who anointed beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you, whom you have now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. 
But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Okay, that's a long section. That's a lot. The majority of which was a sermon, obviously. Uh, The book of Acts is full of them. Uh, This happens to be the longest one. Um, So we'll start again. I want to highlight the Christ-like life and ministry of Stephen. Some of the things that uh, you might have recognized are pretty obvious uh, allusions to Jesus. Um, But the first one is uh, Stephen's Christ-like life and ministry advanced God's mission. In verse 5 of this, as they were choosing the seven men that I spoke to you about, Stephen's one of the seven that they chose. In verse 5, it says about Stephen, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Verse 8 says that Stephen was full of grace and power, was doing great signs and wonders among the people. God had poured out his grace on Stephen. Stephen, again, all we know about Stephen is what we've just read right here. And the first things we, we see and, and read about him is he's full of power, full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith. God has empowered this man for ministry. We can look back, you know, Jesus had many disciples. He had the twelve to be sure that were with him for three years. And they're very close and were with him each and every day. But he gained followings and they grew. And so where Stephen comes in in this, we don't know. It would be speculation at best. What we do know is by the time we meet him, he's one of those that have been added to the church and has been empowered by the Holy Spirit. Like Pastor Tim talked about last week, if you are a born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells within you. This same Spirit that is being spoke of here that has given Stephen this power, this boldness for which he uh, is doing all of these great wonders and signs in the early church. That, that, That spirit empowers us as well. So the spirit empowered Stephen to do ministry, caring for widows, speaking and acting with wisdom and performing signs and wonders. One of the things that, that it highlighted about the, the day-to-day needs in the early church were caring for widows. Again, the day-to-day needs of the people became, as the numbers got greater, the needs became greater. And in Jerusalem, you've got, that's kind of the, that's where the temple is. That's, that's the heart of the Jewish people in Israel is in Jerusalem. Stephen and the other Six that were named with him were what they call Hellenistic Jews. And they were, they were called and set aside to serve those specific Jews that had come. Remember we talked about the reason I wanted to bring you into the timeline is, is Passover is when Jesus was crucified. Again, that's not insignificant, but it also shows that I don't know what kind of time frame between Jesus' crucifixion And where we are now, I don't think it's a very long amount of time, but we don't know. Um, But what we do know is 
it was primed for what was happening right here. God is orchestrating these things. It's not insignificant that Jesus was crucified on the Passover. These things happened because the people from the entire Mediterranean region would come back to Jerusalem for the Passover to celebrate the Passover uh, as was their custom since it was instituted back in Exodus with Moses at the end of the 10th plague of the death of the firstborn son. That's when this was instituted and they followed it every year and they observed it every year. And this is hundreds of years that they have been doing this. But post-exile from Israel, when they were separated, they were scattered. They were exiled into, into Syria and Babylon, respectively. So they were, the Jewish people were scattered, and some returned to Jerusalem in its history, but a lot of them remained, and they continued to live and, and, and have children and multiply. So they have returned to Jerusalem at this time, so there's, that's the Hellenistic Jews, those that had returned from other regions. They were influenced by this uh, more uh, as much, they were in, in, uh, influenced by the Greek culture of that day, which is uh, the Roman Empire. That was, they were very influenced by that, and that's who he is called to serve. And he is waiting, to, uh, waiting tables, he and the other seven, but he's also doing more. He's serving, but he's also, as we see here, he's proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. So much so that he is, that we'll see, as we see and we read, he's brought up before the council. So he's doing wonderful things in the early ministry of the church. So in this way, Stephen followed the master Jesus was also a man full of the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter, uh, Luke uh, verse four, chapter four, verse one says, "And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit to the wilderness." Jesus was also full of wisdom. Luke two fifty two, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature, and in favor with God and man. And it also says that Jesus Himself is wisdom. Colossians two. 3 says God's mystery which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So we see this man empowered by the Holy Spirit emboldened to serve the people of God in the church but also to proclaim and continue to proclaim like the rest of them to fulfill the great commission and proclaim Jesus Christ and him crucified in Jerusalem in that day. So, he again, he's full of the Spirit, full of faith. So what are you, are you asking God to fill you with faith, power, and wisdom? Is that your prayer? Should that be your prayer? Is that our prayer? Because whatever, you, whatever fills you, uh, is what controls you. If you're filled with jealousy, uh, other people's successes will infuriate you. If you are filled with lust, sexual appetites will lead you into a very dark place. Anger, if that's what fills you, 
then you're, <clears throat> it will lead you to quarrel and even murder with your thoughts. What is it that we fill ourselves with? If you're a born-again believer, again, you're filled with the Holy Spirit, but what do you feed? Uh, because believers still sin. Once we are saved, we do not become perfect. That's, that's not for this life. That, that, that is not something that is attainable for us this side of glory. It will be for us one day, but to, it's not here. We battle, we fight against the flesh. So what do we do? Um, 2 Corinthians 10.5 says we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion erased against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. The means of grace. Do you pray regularly? Do you um, read your Bible regularly? Do you attend worship service and worship regularly? What are you feeding? That which you feed is that's what's going to fill you. If you fill yourself with the world... And the cares of the world, you're feeding your flesh, and that is what's going to control your life. And that's where you will go. If you are doing these things and partaking of the means of grace on a far greater level than you are taking of the world and you're feeding your spirit, you will be able to live uh, a Christ-like life, an others-oriented Christ-like life like Stephen. Stephen also spoke with unanswerable wisdom like Jesus as we move down in Acts, uh, in verse, nines and, uh, verse 9 and 10 of, of Acts. Stephen didn't go to seminary, didn't have a Bible degree. He didn't have a gospel tract memorized that he could refer to. What he did have was the knowledge of the scripture. Um, and we see that in his um, sermon that he proclaimed. It was a very... Um, pretty detailed um, snapshot of the history of uh, the patriarchs uh, and the monarch. So he did know the scriptures. But what else he, he had is um, in Luke 21, he also had the promises of Jesus. Did he hear them? When Jesus said this in Luke 21, in the time frame of this would have been the last, Jesus would have said this during the last week of his ministry. So it would have been the last week before he was crucified at some point in that time frame. That's where we are. He looked at them and he said to his disciples, but before all, but before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to serve, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it therefore in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake but not a hair of your head will perish. This is a promise not just to Stephen, but it's also a promise for us because Stephen was brought before the religious leaders and they killed him, but not before, as Jesus predicted, he had the opportunity to share an unprepared message full of unanswerable wisdom. And again, he's not alone. This, is, this promise is for us. We can stand on this promise 
that as born-again believers, when we take the gospel, when we are confronted with adversaries, we don't have to, like, like I have done, like Josh does, like Pastor Dem did last week and does every week, Drew, Heath, and Johnny, spent quite a bit of time preparing for what we were going to say to you when we were, we were here. That's not what he had done. But he had in his file cabinet the knowledge of the scriptures that he was raised under and he regularly read them. He was familiar with them and it was clear by the way he answered. So it's, it's not an excuse to go, well, God's going to give me what I need when I'm confronted. It's not an excuse not to read your Bible. It's on the contrary. It is the confidence that when you read your Bible that he will bring it to remembrance when it's needed for you. You are, you are ingesting it. You may not be able to memorize it right away, but you will be amazed. I can testify to the fact that you will be amazed that if, as you read Scripture, as things come throughout your day, you'll be amazed at the things that are brought to your mind from Scripture that are helpful, encouraging, convicting, whatever the case. And this was the case of Stephen. He was able to answer their charge. And he did so with his knowledge of Scripture. Stephen also endured a trial like Jesus. Um, in verse 11 through 15, then those who had seized Jesus, I'm going to contrast this. I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself. Matthew 26 speaks of a similar trial that Stephen endured. And it was Jesus was when Jesus was accused, when he was brought before the council. So in Matthew 26, it reads, Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered, and Peter was following him at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death. But they found none. Though many false witnesses came forward, at last two came forward and said, This man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent, and the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have said so. But I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witness do we need? You have, no, you have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, He deserves death. Then they spit in his face and struck him, and some slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, you Christ, who is it that struck you? Well, as we read in 11, they accused Stephen. Is it the same people? Not likely, but it's, it's possible. It's the, it, they're of the same ilk. The religious leaders in the, of that day, they hated Jesus and Jesus said, because they hate me, they're going to hate you. What do they hate? The religious leaders hated Jesus and his disciples because he threatened their authority and their influence and their power. That's why they hated him. 
These people had the Scriptures. These are the people Jesus looked and said, you have the Scriptures and you search for them in vain because you think in them there is salvation. But you're missing it. You miss it. They missed it because they, um, they were not seeking anything but power and influence. And they had quite a bit of it. Uh, and they had perverted the law of God uh, and the scriptures. So they made up allegations. They made up allegations against Jesus. They made up allegations against Stephen. They misunderstood his message. They misunderstood Jesus when he said, um, tear down this temple and in three days I will rebuild it. Stephen said some of the same thing. And again, they misunderstood what Jesus was saying. What Jesus was saying is, I'm the temple. I'm the fulfillment of the temple. I'm the fulfillment of the law. I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. He's the fulfillment of the temple sacrificial system. That's what he was saying. Three days later, I'm, you're going to kill me. Three days later, I'm going to get up out of the grave and rebuild the temple. That's what he was saying. So they were both killed. Jesus was killed unjustly because he was perfect and sinless. Stephen was unjustly killed for the charges they brought. They were false. So in that, he was uh, unjustly killed. But Stephen was a sinner, so it's not, it wasn't the same. But again, both brought up on charges, both falsely accused, both killed. Christ is crucified. Stephen, um, they stoned him to death. Stephen also preached the Old Testament like Jesus Again, like I said, this is the longest sermon in this book that's full of sermons. So Stephen just gives a, a historical quick overview. He answers them with a brief history found in Scripture. And a theologian and preacher named John Stott commented on this specific section, this long section of uh, verse 1 through 50 of chapter 7. He says a single thread runs through the first part of his defense. It is that the God of Israel is a pilgrim God who is not restricted to any one place. He has pledged himself by a solemn covenant to be their God. Therefore, according to his covenant promises, whether they are, wherever they are, there he is also. So as we see, we'll see, Stephen begins with Abraham. Stephen reminds them of God's covenant with the patriarch, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He called pagan Abram out of the Ur of the Chaldeans and made a covenant with him and his offspring, though he was old and without a child to be the heir. Abraham fathers Isaac, Isaac fathers Jacob, Jacob fathers Joseph. Joseph's brothers sell him into slavery. Joseph ends up in Egypt ascends to power in Egypt. Joseph's brother goes to Egypt because of a famine in the land in search of food to buy. Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. Jacob is brought to Egypt. After many years, they all die in Egypt and are carried back and buried in a tomb bought by Abraham. After even many more years, they begin to increase in number. There arises a king in Egypt that doesn't know Joseph. They are made slaves Moses comes on the scene and is adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. Moses flees Egypt. Mary's has two sons. 
God calls him back to Egypt. Moses and the Israelites flee Egypt to wander the wilderness. They wander the wilderness for 40 years before entering the promised land. All the while, God was with them every step of the way. God demonstrates also through the monarchs his covenant promises. Again, what he's saying, he's setting up his response and his accusation to them. And he goes through a pretty detailed history of, of who those very men would call their fathers when they spoke of the patriarchs, their fathers. Um, and all the while talking about, because again, remember, they're leveling a charge against Stephen like they did Jesus, that he was threatening the teaching of Moses and threatening the temple. And that was just, they were, that, they were not going to have that. Because at the temple was a place where God's presence dwelled. In their, in their minds, in, the, in, their, in uh, the Jewish people, the temple was where the presence of God dwelled most um, strongly. So all of these men point to Jesus. Every one of them that we just talked about. Like Heath two weeks ago in Luke 24 talked to you about and he, and he highlighted where Jesus on the Emmaus Road takes, uh, talks to the, the disciples and takes the entirety of the Old Testament and shows them how every bit of it pointed to him. This is what Stephen's doing. He's taking this Old Testament scripture and he's pointing them to Jesus. And this is who he's going to um, accuse them of. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's covenant with Abraham. Moses was a prophet, and Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of Moses and all of the prophets. David was a king. Jesus is the perfect king of kings. From the scriptures, through Jesus, God appeared, God spoke, God sent, God promised, God punished, God rescued, and God is working out his sovereign will all over the earth, he most certainly is not confined to a building. This is what he's talking about. This is what the sermon is. The temple um, in those days, he was, it's, this is not what this is about. And he's going to accuse these religious leaders that have brought charges, false charges, mind you. Again, the scripture says they were not true. They conspired to lie and bring up charges the same way they did with Jesus. It was all uh, orchestrated and unjustly carried out. The Christological culmination of what Stephen says in verse 51 through 54. He finishes this long, long sermon again, historical. And all to get to this response. He says in verse 51, after, after all of this, you stiff-necked people uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. He accused them of killing the prophets, which they did, and they were guilty. So, Stephen accuses them of murdering the prophets, just like their fathers, of, re of rejecting the law of God, just like their fathers, and rejecting of the righteous one, Jesus 
just like their fathers. Stephen is accusing them of violating every charge they are leveling against him. He's turned it and, and leveled it back to them. What's their response? They weren't happy. It said, when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. So Jesus, I mean, so Stephen suffered like Jesus. This is when they began to throw stones. And stoning again, uh, if you are unaware of what stoning is, it's where they, it's pretty much like it sounds. They take big rocks uh, and they all just throw them at them until they're dead. And they just keep pelting them and pelting them and pelting the person until uh, they are eventually uh, killed. So this is a response that you get from these religious leaders. They have been accused by him uh, um, of, of, of murdering the prophets, violating the law of God, and rejecting Jesus. It mentions David, an interesting King David. Um, the Bible says that, that, that King David was a man after God's own heart, but he wasn't perfect. In fact, David had a, an affair that, that, that resulted in um, a child being born. And to cover it up, he conspired and killed the wife of the man, uh, of the woman that he slept with, trying to cover up his sin. Well, again, that's foolish. He tried all kinds of things to cover his sin and to hide from what he had done. And he thought he had done it when he sends the man back to the front and he's killed in battle. Good. Woo. I, I'm safe. Now, now I can marry this woman and, and it's my child and, and no one will be the wiser. Except God, he's omniscient. Um, so David, is, uh, God sends Nathan the prophet to David and he tells him a parable. And David is enraged by what the parable says because of the injustice done in the story and the parable that, that is told to King David by Nathan. And he is enraged. But Nathan says, you are the man. You are the man. So you've got David's response when he was accused was he repented. He repented and he was forgiven. And it was not held against him. What these men did, they were enraged and they killed Stephen. So you've got the contrast here again of responses. The right response for us is repentance. I've often used the same term. Jesus, or, uh, Judas and Peter were both disciples. They both followed Jesus. They were there every step of the way um, together. What's the difference? Both on the same night. Betrayed Jesus, both of them. The difference was repentance. And God's grace towards that person. God showed David grace. God showed Peter grace. 
We don't know what happened to these religious leaders, but they were not shown grace. They were shown uh, they will receive justice. The same with Judas. Judas received justice. And he lived and um, he fulfilled his, his life was fulfilled uh, just as God had designed it to be fulfilled. Finishing up, um, we read, as, as they began to stone Stephen, Stephen looked up and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And the reason this is interesting is most of the scriptures, when, you, when it speaks of Jesus after uh, post this, where he's back, ascended back into heaven, he is seated at the right hand of God. And the reason that's significant is because as the perfect high priest, Jesus' work is finished. On the cross, he said it is finished, and that's what he meant. He has satisfied and propitiated the wrath of God for sin. So as the priests, the priests of the Old Testament, human priests, they didn't have, there, was, there was a lot of ornamentation in the temple. A chair was not among them. Their work was never done. Jesus seated at the Father's right hand. But here it says that Stephen sees him standing. Now why? It doesn't say. I believe, and, and a lot of the, the things that I have read, studying, it's in an approval of almost a standing to where Stephen can see him in a visual way saying to him, welcome home, well done, good and faithful servant. He's standing in, 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 a, in approval, I believe. Uh, I do believe it's significant uh, in that it says he's standing, and, and again, most of the scripture says that he's seated at the Father's right hand. So um, that is a beautiful picture. And then the last thing before, before Stephen dies is what does he do? He says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And then he fell asleep. Jesus said the same thing to the people on the cross. As he looks down, he looked at them, and he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. So, again, you see the contrast. Stephen's life and ministry, the what little we know about Stephen, um, is Christ-like. And finally, as we in, in uh, chapter 8, Two words of encouragement. God is sovereign over persecution. Stephen's martyrdom. You, you might ask, what we know about Stephen seemed like a pretty good guy. Why would God seem to be doing wonderful things uh, in the early church? Why would God allow him to be killed in such a way seemingly so soon? Well, it's because it says here, that after he died, the persecution arose, and the church scattered, except for the apostles. So they scattered from Jerusalem. So he used him. He was done with him. That's one thing that we can know. If you still draw breath, that means God is not finished with you. And he, Stephen had fulfilled his life and his ministry, uh, and he was taken. Uh, his life was fulfilled. 
but his also his life and his ministry also led to the scattering of the church, which leads to the spread of the church. And we've been introduced to a man that says that, that proves that Jesus can save the worst of sinners. And this man named Saul, who we know was the Apostle Paul, we're introduced to him now. Um, Paul's there. He's standing in approval. Remember, he's, it says he held the cloak while they stoned Stephen. Which means, you know, I told you they stoned them. So they go, I'm, I, I'm, I got to take my cloak off because I, I need a good range of motion here. I got to, I got to be able to throw. So here, and Paul held him, and he stood by and watched as he was stoned. So he gave his approval of it. And, and what's really interesting is the book of Acts is written by Luke, uh, the same one that wrote the gospel by the same name. This is his sequel. Luke was also a contemporary of uh, Paul in his ministry. What we've just read is very likely was recounted firsthand knowledge to Luke to write and record for us. Again, Scripture is all of God-breathed and inspired by God. But he very likely got all of the information from Paul, who was there standing in approval while this man was killed. Paul was a very zealous man. And what he thought he was doing, he thought he was right in doing. Um, he, he was 100% Jewish, born and raised. He believed um, in the God of the Old Testament as he understood it. What he was doing, ravishing the church and, and what was happening and, and the things that Paul was doing in this day, Paul thought he was 100% right and he was very zealous to do this. Well, as, as you, you continue to read in this book, the very next chapter, chapter 9, uh, Paul meets the risen Christ on the road to Damascus, and he is converted and saved. And we know it was the Apostle Paul that has written the majority of the New Testament and was used mightily of God. He didn't lose his zeal or his passion. He was redirected, and he, he be, became as zealous, if not more so, for Christ for Jesus and for the gospel as he did when he was breathing threats against the church in the early days. He was so effective at what he does that it says in, after his conversion and he gets back to Jerusalem, the brothers don't want nothing to do with him. They're scared of him, and rightfully so because his reputation preceded him. But he was also uh, mightily used by God uh, after his conversion. So, why did I show you that video? If you want to be a basketball player, there's, in my opinion, not a better one to emulate than Michael Jordan. There's a lot of very excellent people at what they do, and if you want to emulate them, you could do worse. But as the believer, Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. 
we are to imitate Christ. How do we do that? We can't do it on our own. We have to feed our spirit. We have to be in the scripture. We have to we have to pray. We have to feed the things of the spirit. And that will lead us into more of a Christ-like life. If you feed the things of the flesh that are of this world, if that is what's the majority of your day, and I'm talking to me, I know it and I feel it. If I, if I neglect spiritual things for worldly things, and these worldly things in and of themselves are not terrible, but it's the neglect of the spiritual things that will make you sick. So we pursue Christ's likeness. Why? Because he's worthy. Christ is the perfect, and Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of all of the men we've talked about tonight, the patriarchs. He's the fulfillment of the covenant that God made with Abraham. He is the fulfillment of all the prophets. Moses, the one that they spoke of when they said they will come one like Moses. That's Jesus is who they're talking about. He's the perfect prophet. He's the perfect king. He is the perfect priest. If there is anyone worthy of our trust um, and our lives and putting our lives uh, in his hands, he is the one who's worthy. Pray to him. If you are a believer, seek spiritual things. If you are not, um, pray, continue. Because I would say if you are not a believer here tonight, but the fact that you're here and you continue to come, I would make a strong argument that, that he's wooing you. He may, not, he, he may not have you yet, but he will. You can run. I was nearly 38 years old before he saved me. Keep pressing in to him. Uh, he's worthy. Let's pray. Father, again, I thank you for um, this time. I pray, Father, for these students. I pray for um, those that, that do know you in a saving way, Father, that you'll continue to strengthen them. I pray that, that you would use them mightily uh, in their schools, in their lives, and around their friends to share the love of Christ and the gospel. Father, those that are not, I pray that they would continue to, uh, that you would continue to woo them and pursue them, Father, and that you would be pleased to save them. It's in Christ's name I ask. Amen.